It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the right. And for those of you watching on the FaceTube screens, um, we have to have, we have to wait till we get the image of Basil the dog and Legata the cat. And, uh, but the, the, the face tubes, the face tubes. I think that's a new one that I get to combine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get to combine both of them by saying that, Hey, and, uh, did you notice how smooth, smoothly that, that came in there? Huh? Cause, uh, oh, yeah. I, uh, that's what we call, well, in the old days, they called it a macro. Uh, I don't know. Uh, VMix has. I a, call it a macro. But. Yeah, and I think a lot of people still call it a macro. I'm. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't care what you call it. It's just a way to to do this. Uh, and and you know what I haven't done is and and well, first of all, I have to tell you why I was able to do that. I have an ultimate storage capacity of eight hundred quadrillion bits. My total linear computational speed has been rated at 60 trillion operations per second. There you go. That, that in, in other words, you had extra coffee this morning. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> I, could, I could use some more even. Uh, hey, everybody, welcome to the show. It's good to have you here on a, on a Sunday morning. Uh, it's a, a little overcast here. I think it's more overcast your way than it is uh, my way because I'm, I'm actually seeing something that Almost kind of looks like sun. Although I got to tell you, are, are we still getting smoke coming in from the west? It seems like everything's redder than it should I, be lately. Uh, I could be wrong. I believe we are. I think we're getting smoke from there. And I had heard something about um, some fires that were a little closer to Illinois. We were getting smoke from as well when we had the southwest winds. Mm, okay. Well, well, we'll ask Rick. Uh, yeah, Rick DeMaio will be here uh, later in the show as uh, as he always is and uh we have uh, a terrific show for you today because uh we're coming up um on uh, the annual impact conference by the illinois landscape contractors association uh we will get to that in our two guests in just a second however i want to call folks attention to uh the brand new well reformatted homepage at mikenovak.net m-i-k-e-n-o-w-a-k.net kathleen um <laughs> has been working her her finito off and uh 
I'll give her a ding to her, here too, and and, a, and another ding. All right, everybody uh, uh, gets a ding. But you know what I <laughs> what I always uh, tell her about that is uh, no, I you know I did I put that up there? I didn't put that. I was I think I got distracted. So I will just say, in honor of Kathleen, everything's so green. Everything's so green. So. There you are. So I've got I'm, some new drop-ins today. Uh, well, I've got some uh, here that you know. Well, let's let's throw one more in here. We want kale. We do want kale. Yes. And National Kale Day was this past week. So was it really? Time. I had yes, no idea. I had no idea. So I wanted folks to know that because we had some uh, folks say, "I don't know where to find the video, the live streaming video on your on your uh, website." Um, so we changed that. We put it on the home page. Now we've got the live streaming video on the home page, and we've got the blog with the podcasts on the home page on the, the right side of the page. We got all of our sponsors up there. We got ways you can connect to us, like on on uh, Facebooks. And uh, wait, wait, that was FaceTube. That's it, FaceTube, Faceblob, <laughs> and 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 Ublob, Face. <laughs> FaceTube and Ublob. And, oh, dear. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I, look, and, yes? And people can sign up for the newsletter. And they can the sign up. Too. And a lot of people have been doing that. We sent out a newsletter this week. A lot of you folks got it. Um, and we continue to get people uh, signing in because, as you know, if you're trying to listen to us on AM and FM radio right now, you're not getting a signal because we're not there anymore. Well, You're hearing we, crickets, uh, we at just, least for us. Yeah, uh, well, and, and I didn't have the crickets sound effect ready. See, that's the other part. Is like I have to figure out where I can. I need, I need those, one of those little pads. You just push the button and all the <laughs> little sound effects come up. Uh, but I wanted to encourage people to go to the website uh, because Kathleen's worked so hard on it. And we want you to see the show. And um, this is like 4.0 right now, uh, don't you think? 3.0? I'm not sure. It's actually the third week we've done this, and this is going to be the best one yet. And in the words of Bullwinkle J. Moose, this time for sure. Uh, and that's the way that's going to work. So welcome, everybody, to the show. Uh, I want to make an announcement uh, about the SEGA Awards. We are going to announce the winners next week. So stand by for that. That was our 62nd Garden Video Challenge. Uh, the entries of all are all in there. We're we're tallying them, and I hope we uh, will have the winner on the show, uh, or at least a representative of the winner if it was uh, an organization. Mm -hmm. And you know what else we're going to do because we can now. What we're going to show what, 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 what? the video. We will show oh. the video right here, streaming live on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. How cool is that? How cool is that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we, however, we need to talk uh, impact. So let's, uh, let's go to our guests here. And uh, I'm finding uh, our guest number one in the right-hand corner, Kim Ironman. Kim, how are you? And I'm looking and I'm hoping... Uh, I'm going to put guest number two in the left-hand corner. The problem is with Jack, we were trying the uh, audio and video this morning. I'm it's telling working. you, it looks good. Wait a second. We'll let forget that uh, picture thing. Let's go to the the real thing, the real there guy. There he is. There. All right. You made it work. I'm, what did you do? Did you just hit it up 
really hard on the side like an old television set? Yes, I, I talked very nicely to the computer. Uh, Excited fan- ah. fan- to work. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, excellent. You you can't believe the kaleidoscope of colors we were getting from Jack uh, <laughs> earlier on. Um, so he's 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 been busy rebooting everything in sight. He rebooted the refrigerator and the uh, dehumidifier uh, and even the computer and the router. So looks good, Jack. Thank you for for doing that. Uh, and and welcome both of you uh, to the show. Really appreciate it. Glad you guys are are doing this with impact. Um, let me t- give you a little background. Uh, you might, Jack knows this, Kim, uh, maybe you not so much. Uh, the impact conference from the Illinois Landscape Contractors Association is kind of an outgrowth of uh, uh, something called the Mila Conference, and that was the Midwest Ecological Landscape Alliance. And I had a hand in that. I was actually a co-founder of that back, boy, it seems like a million years ago, 2002. Uh, and uh, it was uh, folks, uh, like-minded folks, who were trying to do landscaping in a better way, which is what this conference is all about and what Jack and Kim are all about. Um, and then uh, Mila, you know, as some of these organizations do, they, they run out of steam, they go belly up, I, although it shouldn't have run out of steam because there is a, there's still a need for all of this. It's just hard to keep those kinds of things going. Uh, I actually wasn't much part of it when um it gave up the ghost but congratulations to ilca because they stepped up and said you know what you guys are doing good things why don't uh some of your members come on uh come into the uh, ilca meetings uh the Mm -hmm. sustainability committee and we will do a conference much like the mila conference which became impact um, and that's been going on for several years now. Peggy and I have covered it. We've done interviews on site. Um, and uh, and this year, at the Jack, Chicago Botanic Garden. Yeah, at the Chicago Botanic Garden. Of course, this year it's all virtual. So that's why uh, I say uh, on my blog that uh, we're virtually impacting landscapes. Oh, the ding came a little early. Sorry. Uh, and Jack, you're uh, you've become uh, one of the major sponsors of this, haven't you? Yes. Well, it's what we've been doing for 30 years uh, plus is uh, making an impact upon the environment. So this year it was like, might as well go go for gold. Yeah, why not? I will tell you, we're still getting a little of your rainbow colors in there. It was good for a second, and now <laughs> but we'll, right. we'll live with it. As long as I can see you moving, I know you're alive. Right. <laughs> um, listen, you and I go b- back a ways. Um, oh, and I should mention, by the way, Jack is a presenter also uh, at the at the conference, as is Kim. Kim is doing two presentations, and there are two tiers this year. Uh, there's on demand, where you go, you can look at a video anytime, starting on the 16th of October, um, and then on the 23rd, there's the live version. Uh, Kim, you're you're. I'll get to you in a second, Jack. But Kim, you're part of the virtual or the um the on-demand version. Can you tell me what that's all about? Yeah. So, you know, nothing like a pandemic to get you online, right? <laughs> so conferences, um, yes, we're going to be doing these virtual events, which is really terrific. And then, as you mentioned, on the 23rd, there's going to be a live interview. I'm, I'm uh, participating in that along with some other uh, panelists. 
And, um, you know, honestly, uh, from my perspective, I see a really great enthusiasm from folks online. So I, this may be actually a good sign of um, changing our meth- methodology a little bit in the future to get more people engaged. Well, we've been trying to do that for 20 years. Jack's been trying to yeah. do it for 30 years. Um, uh, and Jack, I'll ask you, uh, are, are we making any progress? When you and I talked back when I was at Gargantua Radio down the dial, and uh, I remember us standing in a parking lot, and uh, you were talking about changing the world. How's that working? Still going. Yeah, I, I think, especially in, in light of the pandemic, people are turning to nature. You know, they, they're working from home. They're looking out their window. They're seeing something that they thought, well, you know, maybe I should change something or, or go out and, and enjoy the yard a little more. And now that's their only outlet because, you know, going to work every day has been turned into a walk from the bedroom to the bathroom to the kitchen to work. And it, it can occur in, a, you know, uh, minutes rather than hours. So people are out there doing it. And I tell you, I have walked more properties with new clients since the pandemic started yeah. than I ever thought possible because people are turning to nature. Kim, you're, you're nodding. That's happened to you. Yeah, I've never had a busier year. I mean, I, it's almost mid-October and I'm still getting inquiries. It's insane. I mean, within the last decade, we've actually had snowstorms here. I'm in, based in New York uh, in October, so it's, it's pretty extraordinary. And uh, Kim, by the way, the name of your business is Eco Beneficial. And what kind yes. of what kind of services do you do? So I'm an environmental horticulturist and an ecological landscape designer. Uh, so I'm actually working with clients, uh, residential, some municipal, some commercial. Um, actually, do some work with landscape architects, and I do a lot of speaking, teaching, and writing. And uh, let's see, you might see a little snippet of my uh, book cover. Um, published uh, recently, the Pollinator Victory Garden. Oh, wait, 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 of... wait, wait, wait. I am prepared. So I am so prepared for this. So uh, sorry. Oh, no, no, that's okay, because you were on our show earlier this year when, we, April, talk, yeah. when we talked about this, and this is where I get to play with my little cameras here and go, all right, here we are. Here's the Pollinator, oh, there you go. There you go. pollinator Victory Garden. And, giving you a uh, virtual signature. You should... Uh, should <laughs> Get yourself a copy. It's actually quite an excellent book, mm-hmm. and uh, Thank you so much. you're going to learn a lot about the insects uh, there who are part of the garden. Now let's go back. Uh, it's, it's like Ew. I'm turning into Giant Man and Ant Man. Uh, so, uh, congratulations on the book. I hope it's doing well, and folks should get a copy. So, Jack, back to you. Uh, Piso, is it? What's proper, the Piso Group or Piso and Associates right now, or both? Either or. You can get to <laughs> us both ways. Yeah. Uh, well, all the links to, to, to Kim and to Jack are on my blog at MikeNovak.net. Uh, but what's so interesting about you, Jack, you started smack in the city of Chicago, moved to near western suburbs, um, and then ended up in Leland, Illinois, which is like, what, uh, 60 miles or 100 miles as the crow flies uh, west of the city? <laughs> Everybody thinks it's, you know, this far short of Iowa and, you know, about an hour west of the uh, or east of the edge of the earth. Um, it's about 55 <laughs> miles. Okay, 50, yeah. Um, 
And you found some remnant prairie where you started the business, but and that's fascinating that you preserved it and you created a buffer around that. How how does that work? So changing the world means you've got to do it, uh, you know, in the present, but also set it up for the future. So on our quest to find a piece of property to move the business to, uh, I came across uh, what was affectionately told me as a swamp down on Pine Road (laughs) and looked it up. I mean, that was uh, well before any kind of Internet speeds or Google Earth. So, you know, I was like, get in the car and drive down there. And uh, walked through the cornfield, about 80 acres of it was corn, and the rest was natural. And walked through a, uh, uh, the corn out into this natural space. And just as I was taking a step, a hen pheasant flew up in front of me and scared the, the Jesus out of me. And I landed face down. Um, wow. But right into Carrick's stricta, tussock's edge, and iris. <laughs> And I knew right <laughs> I found my home. Your home. Um, 30, 32 and a half acres of that is remnant prairie and wetland. It also has a feature called a glacial cane, which is a pile of gravel and clay left by the glacier, which for DeKalb County is a mountain. It's about 25 feet above the wetland. Um, so there's dry prairie, wet prairie, music prairie, wetland. Um, we've seen 225 species, we have 20, 225 species of plants there, including four species of orchids, um, all of which are remnant, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, 150 species of birds. And a couple of years ago, we had both species of ibis there. And wow. that property is in the middle of 22,000 acres of corn and beans. Unbelievable. So preserving it. Um, I, I looked at it and since I had done this at my home property, I put the ease, a conservation easement on it. And that's a legal restriction on the development of the property, uh, that goes in perpetuity or I guess perpetuity is as long as the Supreme court says perpetuity is. Right. Um, and, uh, so there's legal restrictions on the development, uh, and it has to be monitored, has to be maintained in a natural state. And then, uh, you know, it'll, it'll be preserved for future generations. And, and who has, uh, by what legal authority do you do that? I mean, you mentioned the Supreme court, but what, uh, where do you go? What, who's the jurisdiction on that? So in the process, in doing this, you, you donate the development rights to a land trust, which is a 501 C three. So the, um, you sign over documents, you sign over the development rights to them. And in this case, mm-hmm. it is the Conservation Foundation out of Naperville. And I sat on their board for about seven years. Um, and I, I, I did the easement before I ever got on the board. Uh, so they hold the easement and they, will, they are the ones that are required to check up on it. Um, and I will admit there is also a financial benefit to this because the value of the land pre-easement um, you know, and then the value of the land after the easement, it's technically le- worth less. That amount per acre times the number of acres is considered a charitable donation to the 501c3. So I get to use that against my federal income tax. Ah, and you're so saving. Win-win. 
yeah, you're saving it mm-hmm. in perpetuity, or as you say, as long as the courts are going to uphold this and, you know, <laughs> total chaos doesn't right. break out in, in, in the country. Um, but it's what you did with where you built your home, that, that was a different story, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. So uh, having moved the business already out to Leland and I realized I wanted to practice what I preach because living on a 10,000 square foot lot in River Forest, um, while a beautiful place to live and you know, great community, it didn't lend itself much to restoring ecosystems. Um, so wanted to find a place to, you know, with good schools and found a 40 acre piece of property that was entirely bean field and farmed wetland. And uh, we have returned that to nature and uh, you know, 225 species of native plants there now. Um, and I just discovered an orchid. So the late nodding ladies trust orchid is there. Um, and uh, of that, uh, I've put 37 of those acres in a conservation easement with a different land trust, the Natural Land Institute out of Rockford. So 69 of the 80 acres I own are permanently protected. And I've been to Jack's place, and he's right. It's surrounded by conventional farms with conventional methods, tractors and, and pesticides and everything else uh, you, you can't imagine. Um, in fact, you, you, you talk to me occasionally about pesticide drift in your property, don't you? Oh, yeah. I've seen the effects of drift from herbicides and pesticides. And uh, as the as, as traditional farming becomes more uh, or larger scale, the scale at which they have to apply these uh, uh, chemicals ends up being, you know, with booms of 60 or 70 feet. And they want to get out and get it done. So they're doing it on a day when they're getting high winds. And I've seen, you know, my Jerusalem artichoke, which is a particularly tough plant planted along my borders, um, you know, come up and I see the curling, twisting, because they were applying it on a day when uh, the wind blew it towards my property. Um, But I'm in the middle of 38,000 acres of corn and beans. And even despite that, I've seen 149 species of birds on my property. And being in that, you know, a a green dot in the middle of a vast uh, sea of corn and beans um, tells me that nature works. You know, it doesn't take long for Mother Nature to go, yeah, we're we're there. Yeah, just give us an opportunity. And and you're also a a migratory fly, uh, a stopover, um, and, and probably for monarchs as well and other insects, um, which is... The argument we make uh, that you can have an impact, speaking of impact, in your own backyard. Do I give myself a ding? There we go. Uh, just by planting natives and at least uh, stop your use of herbicides and pesticides and just be a little more gentle with that uh, uh, place that you own. Which takes us to you, Kim, because this is what you preach. So you you're doing the same thing out on the East coast. Tell me uh, some of what, uh, how you can relate to what Jack has just said. 
So first of all, I want to see Jack's place. Yes, <laughs> you do. Fabulous. You do. By the way, the photo, <laughs> the photo on my uh, blog post I took there yeah. in 2012 when we shot uh, uh, an episode of a TV show I was doing at that time on Jack's place, getting up at dawn and watching the sunrise over farms, but having all this wonderful restored prairie and even even lawn because you've got buffalo grass which was just the coolest mm. thing ever um but it, it, go ahead kim yeah so a little different story here on the east coast so i'm based in um suburban new york and i i work mostly in the tri-state area meaning connecticut new jersey and new york so you know i have clients who have uh, properties anywhere from uh like tiny patches like mine less than a fifth of an acre to 50 acres, depending on the client. So a lot of my projects um, are in, you know, pretty developed areas where folks may have just thought this is not possible that we could attract, you know, a, a, an incredible array of birds and insects, anything that can fly has got a shot, even some mammals, if we let them exist and aren't afraid of them. Yeah. Um, Cause that's a big concern here, but um, it is pretty extraordinary. And um, you know, my landscape and my client's landscapes are absolutely filled with uh, mostly regional native plants, mostly regional native plants. I try to go for local genotypes whenever that's possible. It's not so easy here on the East Coast to do that. Why but is that? Planted, why, why is that? Um, I, I don't think we've, um, you know, we've really found somebody to step up and start doing that in a commercial sense. We've got some smaller growers who are starting to uh, wild collect seed and grow them out. Uh, notably, uh, nursery, I'll give a shout out to Planter's Choice in Newtown, Connecticut, that actually is um, you know, working to uh, wild collect with a biologist and then growing out plugs and selling them in Connecticut, um, which is fantastic. And we need to embrace more of this. You know, so, you know, we're, I'm still trying to convince people not to buy, you know, hydrangea macrophylla, you know, some exotic uh, plant with huge, you know, floral, uh, floral panicles. Oh, they, they, want the, they want the blue blooms. <laughs> they want the mop head blooms. Yeah. And every time yeah. I see uh, in the Midwest, somebody has a horticultural presentation and I'm not going to name names. Um, but, and then they decorate it with the blue mop heads. I say, what, what are you doing right. here? What, what, that's right. crazy. So part of my message is really to find the beauty and ecological function, um, appreciate a plant for not just how it looks, but what it does. And, um, I, you know, this is, this is what I believe in my heart and I try to inspire and educate folks to have that same perspective because we are the stewards of our landscapes. There's nobody else coming to save us. There's no big brother coming in to, to help us. So we need to do it. And, uh, we have an example of just a huge success story here in the East coast, um, the pollinator pathway movement. I don't know if it's any of this has made its way out to the Midwest, but uh, we've got over 90 um, municipalities and localities here in um, in uh, New York, uh, Westchester County, and a couple other counties, as well as um, parts of Connecticut. 90 different municipalities that have uh, started a pollinator pathway movement. So I mentioned this in my book. I think this is just an inspiring effort to 
you know, get people to start thinking about plants differently, thinking about their role in their landscapes differently, and to start connecting fragmented landscapes. So, you know, even though um, most of us here in the tri-state area don't have large tracts of land, there's so much that we can do in our own small spaces and then connect to the next neighbor and the next neighbor and the next neighbor and any school, any church, any empty landscape, um, you know, empty lot, whatever it is, can all be part of, um, you know, moving things in the right direction to support nature, which, by the way, supports us humans. They have this this little thing called ecosystem services that the UN define that we yeah. humans depend upon. And it's it's so convenient to think that we're disconnected from it, but we actually are very dependent, you know, on the environment around us. So that's right. that's my reason for being on this earth, at least in my uh, later stages of life. <laughs> okay, well, um, we're going to talk a little bit more about this, and let's we'll get to the ILCA conference. By the way, that's Jack Pizzo, that's Kim Ironman, um, and uh, we're we're talking impact today on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. You guys stick around; uh, we will be right back. We continue to live in interesting and challenging times. As we've learned over the past few months, something as important as tree care can be made much more difficult by unexpected events like the COVID-19 pandemic. Bartlett Tree Experts understands that and has made safety their number one consideration. But that's not surprising because safety has always been their number one concern and will continue to be their concern as we move into the next phase of this crisis. Something else we've learned over this time is that people love their trees and from a safe distance have been eager to talk to Bartlett Arborist representatives, whether from the safety of their porch or through a window or over the phone. They also know that Bartlett can make outside areas safer from ticks, which are having a banner year thanks to a mild winter. Bottom line, the folks at Bartlett Tree Experts want to say thank you to their customers for loving their trees and understanding that every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. The world has changed. A year ago, you were growing food because it was fun. Now it's important. That's why you need Happy Leaf LED grow lights. Thanks to the best science, the wavelengths are tuned to your plant's needs. They're versatile, they're elegant, they have a five-year warranty, and they're made in America. Peggy and I are huge fans. Go to MikeNovak.net for the code to save 5% on your purchase. Go to HappyLeafLED.com to get more information. Happy Leaf, it's about the light. Collective Resource Compost wants to show you how they make composting easy in Chicagoland. You can reduce greenhouse gas emissions by diverting food scraps from landfills. CRC brings you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter, they swap it out, and get it to a commercial composting operation. Composting is what nature would do if we just got out of her way. Learn how easy it is to divert waste at your home, school, or workplace. Go to collectiveresource.us. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Those are the wonderful kids from PS22 in New York. Um, Kim, have you heard about them at all? They're just this wonderful chorus that I discovered on the intertubes 
and uh, they uh, have made uh, quite a name for themselves just by uh, doing some wonderful recordings. That's great. I mean, it, it starts with kids teaching their kids to care. Yeah, mm-hmm. teaching the kids to care about music, about the arts, uh, about science, about plants, about insects, um, and we go keeping from them there. Connected. And keeping them connected. Uh, that's uh, Kim Ironman on the right side of your screen, Jack Pizzo on the left side of your screen. We are uh, talking about the Impact Conference at the Illinois Landscape Contractors Association, which is coming up uh, this week. It'll starting the uh, 16th and going through the 23rd. You can get on-demand courses and sessions. Uh, Kim's going to be involved in some of those. And by the way, she's an environmental horticulturist specializing in ecological landscapes and native plants. Uh, You teach at New York Botanical Garden, Brooklyn Botanic. We started talking about the Impact Conference um, and I wanted to, one of the things I wanted to do is r- refer Jack to something that you said, uh, Kim, about the East Coast and not having a lot of large native plant outfits. Jack, is uh, you do that yourself in the Midwest. Are you considered large? Are you considered small? And are, are there many of them in the central part of the country? We would be considered large. We have uh, production of uh, well over a million native plants per year. Ours are all produced from seed. So seed being produced by sexual reproduction means that every seed is um, is genetically unique. So you got good genetic diversity. We also bring in different gene pools. Um, being the son of a professor of biology, I believe in big gene pools. So I don't think that, you know, you know, uh, keeping a, a gene pool from Indiana out of our production or Wisconsin because we want to do Illinois, um, that's pretty short-sighted because, you know, if you look at Buffalo, they could take exceed, you know, hundreds of miles on their coat and then the seed pod opens and deposits it, it there and adds to the gene pool. So I'm, I'm a big gene pool guy. Um, and uh, you're right. Uh, having been to the... Uh, uh, horticultural show. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on it uh, uh, out in Baltimore this spring. Um, there were a lot of native plant nurseries uh, or people that produce native plants, but a lot of them were for uh, the uh, brackish water restorations and not upland or wetland. And a lot of them were doing asexual reproduction, which is cloning. So you end up with lower gene diversity. But uh, Kim said something about hydrangeas, and you did too, Mike. Um, (laughs) I have a great Uh video, and I'll get it up and post it again. And it's on my patio, and it's hydrangea uh, Annabelle, which is a horticultural variety of the smooth hydrangea, and then the species, side-by-side blooming. And you you look at the leaves. The leaves are getting eaten equally by leaf-eating insects, but... The flowers of Annabelle, which are all sterile, have no pollinators on them. And then mm. I pan over to the species, and the species has bumblebees and some honeybees and wasps and flies, everything on it. So a horticultural variety made a big difference in pollinator habitat. And so that's part of what we do is making sure that, you know, our clients are small all the way to large. You know, we've done work on 1,000-acre projects 
all the way down to small rain gardens and bioswales. Um, but it's always putting the diversity in there. And, you know, when it's smaller, it becomes more landscape-like, but it still has those native plants that those insects depend upon. Uh, and, you know, you plant it and, you know, we helped with uh, the design and did the management for a while at the Field Museum. And if you go out to the Field Museum in Chicago, in between the two lanes of Lakeshore Drive, there are monarchs descending upon that place mm -hmm. where historically there was just concrete. So yeah. it works in big and small and urban and rural, um, wherever you give the uh, native plants the fighting chance and use them, the pollinators, the birds, the things will show up. And Kim, the other thing was, you had mentioned the pollinator pathway, something similar here is Chicago wilderness. So that's all, if you look that up, that's all around the southern end of Lake Michigan. And it's the agencies, the uh, municipalities, uh, the 501c3, so everybody getting together and, you know, in a collaborative effort to talk about it so that it's not just, you know, everybody in their little silo. So, oh, wait, hold on. Have... That's, that's sorry, my fault. Uh, go ahead, Kim. Yeah, in, in, uh, here in the East Coast uh, with the Pollinator Pathway Movement, so one thing that's, you know, really been working well is people get a sign. People get a lawn sign to put out, you know, in their front yard that says, I'm on the pollinator pathway. So you've got residential uh, homeowners, you've got, you know, churches, schools, et cetera. And it's kind of a status symbol that you've actually, mm -hmm. you know, from an ecological perspective, that you're actually participating. Um, and it's just caught fire like crazy. So, well, yeah. let's, let's, oh, go ahead, Peggy. I was, I was going to say, harkening back to something we had been saying earlier as well about how we're all inside. You guys are getting a whole lot more business this year, keeping kids connected. You know, having that visible sign or having that, that strip of, of pollinator friendly going right down the middle of a busy Chicago street, it, that's keeping those connections and building them. Um, it, and it's just all the little things, as you say, the sign, suddenly somebody says, wow, I didn't even know we could do that. And it also gives awesome. you. Oh, go ahead, Kim. Sorry, it also gives you kind of an excuse <laughs> to uh, mm -hmm. leave your perennials standing through winter because you have a sign and people um, kind of get that you're gardening differently. You're gardening for a purpose. Um, so those cues to care include signs. Um, you know, yes. we learned about those cues to care years ago, you know, that folks are more tolerant of naturalistic landscapes when they see some intent. And um, so I'm a huge fan of signage, uh, whether it's pollinator pathway sign, Xerces sign, wildlife habitat, whatever it is, to kind of cue people into what you're doing. So that, I would assume, is part of your eco-beneficial landscaping strategies, which is one of the sessions that you will be presenting, Kim. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Give us... Yeah, I mean... Go ahead. We, we're trying to model behavior. I mean, we're trying to not only uh, be great stewards in our own landscapes, we're trying to get people to, you know, to um, take cues from us and uh, model the behavior and become influencers. I think that's a that's a big part of this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just I, I have a neighbor who I've lived next to for 26 years and um, following some changes in their family makeup. Um, 
I won't get into the details. <laughs> uh, finally, there was some receptivity about um, me helping them with a the landscape and so put a pollinator garden in uh, this past uh, Memorial Day. And I cannot tell you the number of pictures that I'm getting from her and uh, the joy that she's experiencing in having so much life in her landscape. And I see that from my clients too. And it is really a joyful experience at a time during this pandemic where we have to look harder to to fill ourselves up emotionally and, you know, being connected to nature and uh, making a difference is is really powerful. And the way you guys do that, obviously, Jack uh, alluded to the uh, hydrangeas is with uh, the native plants. I mean, this right. is uh, um, because... There are a lot of plants in a lot of landscapes that do not attract insects at all. I, you know, I'm old enough to know when uh, a time when insects were considered a nuisance, and that's all they were, pretty much, except for, you know, scientists and, and a few smart people out there. Uh, I still get pitches uh, in, in my inbox and in my email from companies that say, get rid of insects. Get rid of the insects in your yard. I'm like, what planet are you living on in the 21st century where we're doing everything we can to avoid uh, an insect apocalypse right now? So I guess my my question is, can individual – Jack, you you tend to work on a a very large scale, which is wonderful, and in your own homestead uh, is is a sanctuary for – for for insects and mammals and birds, uh, but can we do this on a smaller scale? Are we going to have any kind of effect, Kim? Yeah, oh. totally. I mean, and I think it takes both. I think you know what I often say to folks. You know, we can support the species um, around us um, that will use our suburban neighborhoods, but for species that are obligate um, creatures of large landscapes like grasslands, um, Mm -hmm. if we can't them in our own residential landscapes, then what we can do is we can financially support and speak up for those organizations that are preserving land. So we can do both, but, you know, for our own landscapes, yeah, we can make a huge difference. Um, I see it with all of my clients. Um, They just, they cannot believe I got a shot from a client recently. She said, this little patch of butterfly weed, I found eight monarch caterpillars and she's thrilled. <laughs> and that's that's what we got to get to. We got to get to that passion um, of making a difference yeah. and seeing that, that we can have an impact. But we can't forget about the larger landscapes. We can't forget about the uh, old growth forests and the grasslands. Mm-hmm. And you know, these um, I mean, grassland birds are in big, big, big trouble. As obviously you know, Jack. Um, so we can't forget about those um, those resources either. So we, we really need to think both globally and locally. Jack, you were going to jump in with something. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's every square foot counts. Uh, you know, even if you don't have a, a huge place and you don't want to tear out your whole garden, plant one native plant and that will make a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, this an example of, you know, the insects and, and taking care of things and, you know, we're trying to avoid this insect apocalypse. Uh, just met with a couple few miles south of me where I am. I'm at my uh, place in southwest Michigan, and about four miles south of me is the state of Indiana. Met a couple. They, they have a home downtown, but bought a, a seven-acre property in Laporte. 
And she showed me this beautiful uh, area that had been planted to prairie that it just had degraded. So, I mean, there are so many invasives that showed up. Um, and then she's like, there's a little wetland down there. And we looked and you could see that it was being taken over by cattails. And then she had the woods back there, but we don't go back there. And I went, oh, let's go. Come on. <laughs> Tropical prairie. Right. And you wouldn't believe the diversity of plants back there. And seeing the, uh, uh, you know, the, the number of plant species that were there. And really, it was suffering from too many tree seedlings blocking the sunlight getting to the ground. And she said, well, there's mosquitoes. And I said, well, if we begin to manage the prairie and clean up the invasives, get the flowers you like, clean up the wetland, get those cattails out, and then open up the edge of the woods and clean out the density of the tree seedlings in there, you're going to start getting wind. And when you get wind, you get lowered humidity. When you get lower humidity, mosquitoes don't like that. Not to mention, you get movement of dragonflies and uh, other predators like birds and things that will eat the mosquitoes. So in this small little space, we can make that place fully functional for them by letting them get back into the woods and enjoy all that, but then help with creating spaces that can control problem insects like mosquitoes. And that's, you know, you get the ads for people like mosquito spray and, you know, mosquito killer, and they go around and spray everything and kill every insect in there. And the real issue is there's nothing there to eat the mosquitoes. And there's everything that they've done has closed their yard in and created this nice high humidity environment. Work with nature and she'll work with you. Yeah. All right. Well, we have about five minutes left here uh, before we wrap up. Um, one of the things you're talking about, uh, Kim, is landscape in climate crisis. We are in climate crisis. Um, sometimes I feel as though uh, landscaping is just too small to have the kind of effect we want. Why am I wrong? Well, I guess we have two two choices. Either we just close our eyes and pretend it's not happening and think that we can't have an effect or we do something. And so I'm a doer. <laughs> I okay. want to get other people to be doers. Um, biodiversity is um, an incredible risk, both with vertebrates and invertebrates. And arguably, that is probably our greatest tool in the face of uh, the climate crisis is to create greater diversity in our own landscapes. And that starts with plants. I mean, that's the Doug, Dr. Doug Tallamy message, right? Really right. starts with plants. And so um, we need to strike a balance between diversity of species and sufficiency of an individual species, for example, to create better pollinator targets. Um, and we need to start thinking about reflecting, um, emulating nature in our landscapes, no matter how developed our areas are. If we think about natural areas near us and we look at them, we see that, um, especially here on the East Coast and, you know, obviously parts of the Midwest, we have, you know, very obvious layers um, and reflecting those layers um, and having these junctures between layers, um, these ecotones that are the richest parts of, um, you know, uh, productive ecosystems, you know, we can emulate that. Uh, in, in developed areas, we can't um, restore the same way Jack might be in larger landscapes, but we can emulate nature and take nature's cues to help um, decrease the uh, biodiversity loss. And then, you know, with climate change, 
we have uh, some studies really show that invasive species are having a positive reaction, both insects and plants. So we have to become good stewards of our landscapes and deal with the invasive species. And I have so many clients that just want to kind of ignore the woods out there, Jack, as you're mentioning, you know, oh, what's mm-hmm. back there? There's a lot of invasives. That is, that is um, not okay. Yeah, you know, before you uh, redo your kitchen, you got to repair the leaking roof. <laughs> That's the analogy I use. So yes. you've got to be a good steward and get a handle on the invasive species. Hire a professional like Jack on the East Coast. We've got some folks that are really quite good knowing the timing and the proper methodology for dealing with the different invasives. But you got to get a handle on that before you, you know, you can really be a serious um, ecological steward. Um, so these are some of the things that we can think about. And then obviously really thinking about our soil in a different way thinking about yes. uh, the fact that healthy soil holds more uh, soil carbon, um, a carbon, excuse me, carbon uh, in the soil than, than, you know, any other place that we have in our landscapes. And um, it's thought that mycorrhizal fungi, beneficial fungi, um, really do a lot to drive that uh, holding of carbon in the soil. So respecting our soil is, is a key part of that too. I mean, there's so many ways that we can uh, be active and make a difference. Obviously, it all starts with the soil, um, and uh, you're right uh, to to bring that up. I think we we sometimes lose track of that. Jack, I'm going to let you have the final words here because I'm fascinated by the title of your talk on the 23rd. Uh, and by the way, uh, for folks uh, who want, uh, and and by the way, it's sponsored by Bartlett Tree Experts, which uh, is the major sponsor on our show. Um, and I want it, folks to know that the, they can go to uh, the ILCA. Uh, it's ILCA.net and get more information about the, mm-hmm. the conference coming up. But yours is, is titled, uh, where is it? It's here. Um, and I had it. And, of course, I lost it. No, 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 no. Ah, uh, me. What's, see, it, what, you tell me the name of it, Jack. Uh Kid, you don't know anything. Lessons from the field. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Kid, that's, that sort of reflects. Kids, you, you don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> and Jack, you're the kid, aren't you? I'm the kid. And, you know, the, the question was posed to me about getting involved in this and what would I speak about? And they asked, you know, what you've been doing this your entire life. And I said, I can't tell you the number of times people said to me, I don't know anything. You know, you don't know that you don't know, kid, you don't know anything about landscaping or, you know, what is it? What is somebody with a degree in horticulture coming into our biological industry? You don't know anything. And, you know, I, I just to realize that follow the science, you know, pay attention to the empirical data. Look at what is nature is telling you. And the answer is there. Every bit of, of, of information I've learned is not because I, you know, I have some special connection with mother nature and we hold hands and sing Kumbaya. It's because everything happens for a reason. And if you pay attention to it, you can decipher it and then say, Oh, this is why this is happening. And this is what I need to do to make the other thing happen. For example, it's not about making native plants grow. It never has been native plants will grow if they have the right conditions. It's about making non-native plants not grow. 
And, you know, I, I say it kind of jokingly that, you know, keep your friends close, but keep your enemies closer. Because if you have the right plants there, they'll do just fine. And what we need to do is keep the bad plants out. And we use herbicides. Uh, you know, I, I'm unashamed user of, of glyphosate and Roundup and all the various things. But I engage my brain before I pull the trigger and I use them in a way that knocks out the bad stuff. And I'm always going for no herbicide use. But you can't take those tools away from me because I can't control some of the invasive species out there. And it, Mother Nature has proven me right that I go out there and use these and then biodiversity explodes. So I'm not looking at, you know, three-legged frogs and, you know, badgers running around with a couple of horns out of their head. You see that the whole ecosystem rebounds. So this is the thing. Follow the science. And when you do that, you can have some amazing results. And it's the people that interest me the most because I love seeing them go. Or as Kim said, they get a text and you get a text and they're like, look what I found in my place. Look what I found in my garden. That to me is the connection. Mm -hmm. That's what I see in seeing people in the environment. Fantastic. That's a great way to wrap it up. Jack Pizzo, thank you so much. People can go to pizzo.info. Uh, Kim Ironman, let's do another quick hit for your book. Uh, it shows up backwards, so I'm having a hard time figuring no, out how it's, to. Uh, no, it's, but it's, it's correct when people. No, no, no. I, actually, I can read it. It's just I can't tell when, when I'm tilting it to the right <laughs> or to the left. Uh, Stage so left. <laughs> people should get a copy of the book and go to ecobeneficial.com. Uh, have a great conference. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, thank you so much for putting up with a few little technical difficulties. And I hope I talk to both of you very, very soon. Sounds good. Thanks thank so you. Much. All right. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Nicole Virgil joins us next. You can reduce your household garbage 30% by the simple act of composting. But I live in a condo or an apartment, you say. Well, if you're in the Chicago area, contact Collective Resource Compost. They give you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote if you're working with your community. You fill it with food scraps, they swap it out on a regular schedule, and voila! You're returning organic matter back to the soil instead of creating harmful methane in a landfill. Go to collectiveresource.us. They make composting easy. The folks at Blazing Star know that good soil biology means good soil. That's why they sell products from trusted industry leader Tinyo that contain more than 30 species of beneficial bacteria and fungi chosen for their critical roles in soil and plant health. In other words, whether you're a farmer or a backyard gardener, they help you grow the life in your soil so your soil can grow your plants. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. Since 2001, DiveHeart has been revolutionizing rehabilitation using zero gravity and scuba therapy to give confidence, independence, self-esteem, and yes, freedom to children, veterans, and others with disabilities. At DiveHeart, we believe in the power of partnership because together we can do great things. Let DiveHeart help you imagine the possibilities in your life. Go to DiveHeart.org to learn more. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a sips on of humor. 
Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music fortune. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Oh, yes. Why, Peggy, thank you. Why don't you uh, take care of that for us? Yeah, time to walk like an agrarian, literally. Because if you want to walk like an agrarian, you do need to think like one. The Center for Agrarian Learning at McHenry County College is hosting a free online speaker series featuring innovative thinkers and doers. It's called Forefront Ideas in Food and Farming. The first one is today, but registration is closed for that. No worries, though. There's more coming up. Whole Grain Supply Chain is on November 15th. You can hear from a baker, a farmer, and a dietitian who are going to be speaking about using artisanal grains in their businesses. And then on December 13th, their topic is regenerative agriculture, details of a profitable journey, when you'll learn about six principles of regenerative farming. The sessions are free, online, via Zoom, but you do need to sign up in advance. By the way, they're not going to be recorded, so you have one chance for these excellent workshops. Go to mchenry.edu slash forefront to register and check out their upcoming events for january and february of 2021 that's mchenry.edu slash forefront and we talked last week with the folks from mcc and the uh, center for agrarian learning about uh the presentation today like uh, peggy said you can't get in there today because uh the you have to register in advance uh, but linda kiverist and Soil Sisters. Lisa Kiveris. I'm sorry. I always say Linda. It's Lisa Kiveris. Thank you. Um, and uh, um, I bet it's going to be a great presentation. But I love what they're doing up at McHenry County College and their Center for Agrarian Learning. It's just very, very cool. So folks should take And you it. like to walk like an agrarian, too. I love to walk like an agrarian. Absolutely. Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Balecki. As you can see in the lower left corner, we've got our friend Nicole Virgil uh, back with us on the show. How you doing, Nicole? Hey, Mike. I'm fine. Thanks for having me. It's such a pleasure to have you back. I wish I didn't have to. As I wrote in uh, my blog post, uh, we should, you know, a couple of years ago when uh, it's now three years since uh, we first talked to you and you've been working on, you know, dealing with this whole situation for five years. Um, as I said, we would have, uh, done an interview with you and said, Hey, look at Nicole Virgil. She has this wonderful hoop house in, uh, the suburb of Elmhurst and she grows all these vegetables and she extends the season and she's able to even sell a few of them, uh, out in her front yard in, in a very limited time. Um, and her kids are learning and the neighborhood's learning and wow, that's great. Have a great life and we'll see you later. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but it, it, but it didn't work out like that, did it, Nicole? Would that it were? No, wasn't quite like that. <laughs> oh my goodness, Nicole uh, put up a hoop house uh, back in 2015, um, and it's uh, beautiful. You can go to my website, mikenovak.net, and look at the uh, uh, and uh, look at the, the photos that I have up there. Uh, and I actually, I, you, you sent me a couple of photos, and I appreciate that. You, there's a, there's a, 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 
what did they call it, a membrane structure that is not that far from you, which is about the same size, and it's square and kind of eh, nondescript. And then there's your gorgeously architectural <laughs> hoop house, and they let the one on in Elmhurst, but they won't let yours up. Um, and you have been fighting this battle now for five years. Um, but the good news is people other that and as a number of people paid attention already you already have a youtube page you have right to garden uh you have right to garden legislation that's right. uh, wending its way through springfield um i don't know if we need to recap the whole story the the point is the city said no you can't have it and you've made numerous arguments about why it should be there it's a good educational thing as as i said um i don't know why they don't want people to grow food in their own backyards which is why you had to go to the state legislature because the city of elmhurst has just pretty much ignored you and now they've dug in their heels um and they don't they won't even let you talk about it they said we've had enough meetings about this you lose bye bye and so you said yeah. Well, maybe not so much. I think I'll I'll just take my issue to the uh, the General Assembly of Illinois. Uh, tell me how that battle's going. Well, it is the role of the state government. It's the role of all government, primarily, to protect the rights of its citizens and its residents. If they're not doing that, what the heck else are they here for? So yeah. the state government does codify and exercise protection over liberties. You know, our right to free speech or our right, you know, property rights, um, all different victims' rights, medical rights, et cetera. So this is just a simple property right. And by the way, it's not, you know, uh, it's, not a, it's not rocket science. Americans have been growing food on their own property since the mm -hmm. inception. Well, it's not even American, it's human, right? Everybody's <laughs> been growing food on the land everywhere. That's how we sustain ourselves as a species. So um, this is this is rockets. This is not rocket science. And in this climate, you can't grow food on the land and sustain yourself without some kind of crop protection through the winter. So separate from that, uh, there's uh, the primary issue is equal protection under the law that all, all laws should be applied to the community equally. And my fellow Elmhurst residents are able either through written permission via the permitting system or by tacit uh, ignoring, uh, thousands of other people in my community are able to utilize membrane structures for a variety of purposes, whether it be to protect their animals and, and uh, persons and for entertainment, or if it's for gardening or whatever. So I'm just looking for the same treatment that others receive as well. Um, so we're taking that to the state law because uh, to the state legislature, ah, excuse me, legislature, <laughs> Because um, my city council, as you pointed out, literally will not speak to me or to our supporters. We've had every ward in this town has expressed to its aldermen that they want this issue taken up again. And 12 out of the 14 aldermen have declined to even respond. When you so, say every ward, how many people in each ward have, have stepped up? Um, I mean, are you, are you getting uh, hundreds of supporters? What? 
we have we have thousands of supporters in the city, but in terms yeah. of an, our most recent email campaign, we had um, uh, gosh, I can't tell you off the top of my head. I'm going to say in the neighborhood of dozens of people write into mm -hmm. each alderman. Yeah. Um, which if you look at the historical communication rates with city council, frequently they don't have anybody writing in. So to have dozens of people from each ward write in represents a, a lot. Politically, yes. it's, it's, a, it's statistically significant. That is. And unbeknownst to you, some of your supporters have actually gone around to, uh, to around the city to find other structures that are membrane structures that have been allowed to be built and 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 maintained uh, when yours is not. And um, uh, that must have been kind of surprising to you. Um, it was a surprise. There were some people in on social media groups, uh, Elmhurst social media groups, who started expressing surprise that they were getting violation notices from the city for a harmless, benign backyard membrane structure, uh, which they'd had for years and years. And this falls into the category of the tacit permission, which I was referring mm -hmm. to before. Um, no harm, no foul. There was no regulation against it. The regulation that the city claims bars them is actually in the permanent building code. And in third grade, we learned that permanent and temporary are antonyms. So the permanent building show code should not apply to that which is temporary. So they started getting violation notices about this because this, this um, group in town, um, you might call them sort of a watchdog group, um, without, without my knowledge, but with good intention, had gone around trying to get the city to apply the law uniformly. Um, that's not my approach. I, I don't see um, turning my neighbors in as a way to build community. So um, if I, uh, th yeah, that's not my approach. But yes, that is something that has happened to date. To the best of my knowledge, there's been 18 uh, residences turned in for this, these violations. And has have any of them been, uh, any of these people been required to tear down their their structures? They have gotten notices that they have to take them down. But what's interesting is at the same time, the city's got their back against a wall now, right? Because they've said that they're illegal. So now people are complaining, like, why are you making me take down this thing? I've had it for 10 years or 12 years yeah. or whatever. There's no problem with it. Well, now all of a sudden that all these other residents are concerned, the city is taking moves to legalize their structures. So no sooner will they take them down than the city council will be working assiduously to make them legal. So next on an next individual basis, season, on an individual basis, do you think on a on a land use basis? So they're saying that party tents will be legal and gazebos will be legal. Anything except a garden cover. So and that's that, going to keep And that's me... just that see yeah. you, you say that out loud and it 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 makes me wince because it's so yeah. so dumb. I'm sorry. Yeah. The, the city of Elmhurst is there's it's run by a bunch of dumb people apparently because they don't understand the value of in a pandemic and that's not something else you've brought up this year in a pandemic yeah. of being self-reliant, being able the to grow security. your self-security. Yeah, food security. It's uh, it's it's nuts. Um, they they imagine that Elmhurst, because of their perceived socioeconomic distinction, is somehow immune to the fragility of the food system, and we're not. 
<laughs> I, I don't know how to put it more simply than that. Illinois imports 95% of the food we grow. Nobody yep. here is immune. The food system is fragile. It would be wise to be prepared and at least have some skills to um, help the community, help your neighbors, help yourself. Um, I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, in an emergency, and as we see, you never know when an emergency is going to come or what type mm-hmm. or shape it's going to Will it be a natural disaster? Will it be a stay-at-home order? Whatever. You don't want to have to sit around and say, hmm, let's wait for FEMA for some food. Like, that's not advisable. So it would be good to have a higher uh, level of, of preparedness in the community. And what that means is us, people, being able to help ourselves and help each other. But you can't cultivate those skills overnight. You have to practice them, as I'm sure you guys know. You You know, the first year you grow food is not likely to be, you know, a banner year. (laughs) Right. You're not going to necessarily bumper crops. Yeah. yeah. And it takes a lot to create a hoop house. It just doesn't go up overnight. Right. And so that's another. Well, that was the other thing is like you, uh, you built it so that it would have enough volume in it that it would do its job properly. They said, well, make it six feet instead of nine feet tall. And even uh, Illinois Extension says that's not going to be effective. Mm -hmm. So you might as you know, at that point, you're just going to a row cover. Um, You were trying to do something different. um, And uh, so you've got that science behind you. It's. and yeah. and you something you brought up on the last time the last time you were on the show uh and and come on we 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 dodge and weave around the question of whether it has something to do with uh your color what can i say i it's it's hard mm-hmm. you know i nobody wants to come out and throw charges of racism at anybody but you live in a fairly white community and um, nobody else seems to be having this problem. And, and you keep adding one and one and you keep getting two and you go, no, 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 it really must be three. And, but you just keep adding one and one. No, I'm sorry. It just keeps coming out to two. And I can't I can't explain that. I'm not exactly sure why. But that's uh, so you've you've actually the last time we talked, you you had been you didn't want to go down that road for several years. And now you're kind of saying, you know what, maybe we me need to call it as we see it well typically um it is counterproductive for me to make that assertion when i'm talking to someone who's being resistant for one reason or another because the first response is for the individual to deny that claim of course yeah if they did have any susceptibility to it i'm the last person they're going to admit it to right so Mm -hmm. typically that's why i avoid going that route and in our case we have so many other compelling reasons to adjust this regulation that at the beginning, I really didn't see the need to even bring it up because between property rights and sustainability and, and the food system being fragile and equal application of the law. I mean, how could you go against all those reasons? We even have flooding problems here in Illinois, in uh, Elmhurst, which keeping the soil warm through the winter helps mitigate against. I mean, there's so many different reasons. I, and I didn't anticipate this degree of of resistance. So after you're right, after this long, it's it's hard to wonder. It's hard not to wonder. Like, is there something else going on here? Because this is just not making any sense. You know, the mayor recently in an interview with WBEZ said that 
um, they offered a compromise of a six foot tall hoop house because that marries well with their privacy fence regulation, yeah. which is a fence can't be high. Okay, but that's not what they're doing with the wealthy folks down the street who have gazebos that are 12 and 15 feet tall and party tents. Like, why is it that I'm the only one who can't stand up in my backyard? That's peculiar, isn't it? Uh, I mean, little, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt there. No, you just you don't give people permission to have party tents in their backyard and say they have to be too short to stand up in them. Mm-hmm. But one of the aldermen yeah, actually I, said in a public meeting, Alderman Dunn said, you know, if we were really passionate about gardening, we'd be willing to crouch. <laughs> and yeah, sure. On our own property, we're not going to stand up. Well, mm-hmm. and and the fact that they also aren't paying any attention to the science that that height's not going to do any good. So you right. have to have the thermal mass for it to work, but they're not willing to pay attention. Well, he, he that particular alderman, Alderman Dunn, um, he has training as an engineer. He, he actually sat in a meeting with me and explained that he is very familiar with the concepts of thermal mass and the required air volume to accomplish the task. He just overrides it with his feeling that we shouldn't have it because it's he doesn't want to offer it. He doesn't want to support it. Well, and we're also at the point here where you've just honked them off. They're just they're just so hopping mad at you right now. They can't see straight. So they are just digging That's in their heels. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they, they're at the point now, above all else, I think even more than anything we've talked about, they're at the point where they're not going to lose to this woman. We are not right. going to lose this fight to this woman. And instead of doing what... A municipality is supposed any governmental body is supposed to do is protect the people uh, above Mm -hmm. above all else and and encourage people to be safe. And this is a very safe structure. And what you're doing, growing your own food is a is a way to stay safe in a very uncertain time. Instead of going that down that road, they have abandoned their responsibility as a governmental entity, Uh, at least in my view. Yeah. And you're sponsoring, you're behind the Right to Garden Bill. Yes. Which would make it statewide that structures like this would be allowed. Do you think something is tying in with that as well? In them digging their heels in? Well, this will be our third time at bat this coming legislative session. And what we've observed in the previous two years of working on this bill is that, of course, I mean, I'm learning about this for the first time, but it won't be a surprise to your listeners or to you that municipal governments don't exist in a vacuum. There's a network of them and they all talk to each other and relate to each other. And there's associations of of municipal groups, mayors and managers and municipal lobbyists and whatnot. Um, The municipal governments don't wish to have, there's sort of a struggle, push-pull between the states Mm -hmm. and state government and the municipal and the municipal wants to keep as much of their power as possible. Well, yes, everybody and, wants local power. They want to hold right. on to their power. And, and it's a and, wonder that, that the other cities in the state don't grab Elmhurst by the lapels and say, would you give her her hoop house already? We don't yeah, want well, this that, law. That's where I was going in one of the previous rounds at, at BAT and in, in the legislative, legislative session. We did hear a word that many municipal governments were indeed calling Elmhurst saying, handle your business. And actually, mm-hmm. Elmhurst, that's one of the arguments they make to the state legislators is you should leave us alone because we need to handle this locally. This is a local issue. 
But then when you come back to the table locally, they literally will not respond to emails from me. So it's, it's incredible, meaning not at all credible when they make the assertion that it's a local issue because they won't speak to me. Because so, they're going, they're going la 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 la. I can't hear right, you. La la la. Right. So th- they have a lobbying group called the IML, which is one of the most powerful lobbying groups in the state, the Illinois Municipal League, and they represent all the municipal governments. And it's their position, and they're they're paid well with our tax dollars. You understand? It's it's the residents who fund the IML but the IML doesn't represent us. They represent the municipal governments against us in this Mm -hmm. particular case. And it's their position that the cities are sovereign. I heard that directly from the director of the IML. It was my understanding that the sovereignty was with the people (laughs) and we delegated power to the government to protect our rights. But you see, we've kind of morphed in yeah, our, but but you know it's you know, it's only when they want it to be. So, for instance, well, when true. when the pesticide lobby comes in and passes a preemption law saying that a municipality cannot have a stronger pesticide law than the state law, uh, where where are the local advocates then saying no, no, we right. really want this? No, it's right. it's there's there's no consistency to this. It's only right. What, what can we get away with? Right there, you go. There you go. Yeah. So I have heard, I have been told by people who have been in Elmhurst for decades longer than me and people who grew up here. I'm from the East Coast originally. And so some people actually had the savvy to tell me this up front when I was still wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. They said, Elmhurst is never going to let you do this. And if you try to push against this, they're going to lock down because what they want is conformity. And actually the city manager did go on record saying that, you know, we don't want to issue fines against Mrs. Virgil. We just want compliance. We just want her to shut up. Oh, dude. Like, (laughs) so resistance um, is futile. (laughs) Right. So we've always taken the position that, you know, city codes need, they're always going to lag behind technology, right? Home Depot wasn't Mm -hmm. here 30, 40 years ago. There wasn't so much DIY. I learned about this through YouTube videos and, so codes are going to have to catch up, right? Always. There's always going to be a little bit lagging. So that's why we were happy to be involved with the amendment process for, for city codes. But then we did find out, I think, Mike, you're, you're right. There is some high level of ire that I simply won't go away. But if there is a so racial... They are so mad at you, know, you. They are just so mad at you. Uh, for, for I can't. I can't know people's hearts. But, you know, if there is a component, it's of of racial discrimination in the hearts of these people i couldn't say individually for them but it's very hard to i will tell you it is very hard to swallow living in a community that's i understand now 1.4 percent black uh i found that out after this recent um summer of racial uh imbalance throughout the country that was sort of revealed through some articles i read Um, It's hard to listen to people talk about how they want diversity and they want us. There's been so much discussion in Elmhurst specifically about, you know, Black Lives Matter and equality and diversity. And yet literally I'm here for five years trying to do that, which all my neighbors can already do. Yeah. Crickets. Yeah. Uh, Well, we only have a few minutes. Rick DeMaio is on hold. He's going to be with us uh, in just a, a little bit. Uh, Nicole Virgil, uh, what is the success or chance of success of your legislation? I know this year was a tough year because of COVID, 
right. in, in getting it through. There was so much going on. Um, are you getting more sponsors or is it lagging? No, we're picking up more sponsors all the time. It's really encouraging now. Um, I've been sort of banging this drum for long enough that a lot of legislators, you know, legislators are people too. They talk and they've heard the story Mm -hmm. over time and it just doesn't make sense, you know, especially to people who are downstate and live on farms and grow food and have big gardens. And even up here in Chicago, there's a lot of urban ag going on. It, It just doesn't make sense. So the more the story gets visibility through your show, through WBEZ, through the Tribune op-ed that was published a few weeks ago. Yeah, we're definitely picking up steam. Well, yeah. I and you just to... had an article in Sierra, too. I was yeah. going to point out. Yeah, and, and that's what I wanted to mention is that all of this is – you're starting to get more attention in the media as well. I'm glad Monica Ang is on it from WBEZ, and, and you, yeah, you've great. got help doing the op-ed for the Trib. Um, yeah. This is all great stuff, and it just – each one of them just makes the city of Elmhurst look worse and worse. And at some point, people who live there are going to say, what are you guys doing? What's wrong with you? What's the matter with you? Uh, Because it doesn't affect anybody. It doesn't hurt anybody that you have a hoop house. I don't don't think there's going to suddenly be uh, 10,000 hoop houses in the city of Elmhurst. I I really don't. No, it it takes more. I mean, look, there's not even 10,000 backyard gardens likely in the city of Elmhurst. I know. Um, so it, it takes more work than mostly people are willing to, mm-hmm. to do. And there's some self-selection too. A lot of people might try it for one season. Like some people try growing their own food and then after they see how much work it is, they go, oh, okay, I'm not doing that next year. Yeah. You know, like, so, um, but for people who are willing to, I, I was listening to your previous segment about landscaping that was environmentally productive and regenerative. You know, why would you stop people from doing that who want to? Because it can heal the land wherever someone will engage in those techniques. Same thing with growing your own food. I have all of that that they were talking in my backyard. I have hawks and rabbits. I have crickets. I have ladybugs. I have praying mantises. I have a tiny lot. And the diversity that I have after growing for seven seasons, it's outstanding. Mm -hmm. Why deny that? Absolutely. One more thing before I let you go, uh, because this is kind of a sidebar to all of this, is that you have sold vegetables uh, in the front of your house and that somehow that whole deal now has gotten, or I think it has been for the last several years, been dragged into this equation. What's the story on that? Yeah, real quick. um, My my then sixth grade son, who was just terrifyingly shy, he was terrified of shadow at the time, he was being homeschooled and we thought it might be a nice idea for him to get over his shyness if he could sell some vegetables uh, like at a front little garden stand. Think of like a lemon, kid's lemonade stand. If he could engage with the public, make some change, whatever. So trying to get him involved in things civic, I took him to City Hall and asked the zoning manager to set up a meeting with him to teach him about zoning. And in the process, he could tell us if it was legal or not for my son to have a garden stand for three hours on Saturday morning through the summertime, uh, you know, to sell these little vegetables. Um, we had that meeting at the end of which the zoning meeting, the zoning director said, we don't regulate children's businesses. This is a quote. He said, quote, glorified lemonade stand. And we said, thank you. And we went on our way. Long story short, now the city has taken photos of the children, uh, my daughter and son at a folding, t- it's a folding table with some lettuce and some herbs. 
spread them all over the state house, indicating that the reason we want a wintertime hoop house from November to March is so that two little kids can sell salad greens and herbs at a folding table with permission during the summer. So this shows you they don't understand plants because you don't plant lettuce in January to sell in July. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah. They turn this lemon. Want- they turn this lemonade stand into a kale stand. Yeah. How dare even, they? <laughs> even if we had wanted to do something sort of under the radar or illegal, a commercial business, you don't go to City Hall to ask permission before the fact. Yes. What I mean, please, that's please ridiculous. Can I do something illegal. Yeah, no, that doesn't yeah. happen. Am it's I going to get in trouble if I call these people nimrods? But hey, yeah. you know, that's that's just yeah. me. Okay. Listen, uh, Nicole Virgil, thank you so much. You know, I got a feeling you're going to be back on the show as this uh, <laughs> continues, but I'm glad you're getting a little more coverage now and people are starting to pay attention to this. And all we can do is wish you well and uh, uh, thank you for your efforts to educate people um, <laughs> about how 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 to grow food. Well, Peggy and Mike, I want to thank you both for being so generous with your time over the years and helping to get the word out. You know, at the very beginning, we didn't have anyone who was willing to advocate for us. So I, I genuinely want to thank you. It's It's been a slog, and I appreciate your support. It's our pleasure, and uh, do keep us posted, okay? Yes, please. Yes, sir. All, all right, do. we will talk to you soon. Uh, have a wonderful Sunday. This is the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, meteorologist Rick DeMaio, when we return. We continue to live in interesting and challenging times. As we've learned over the past few months, something as important as tree care can be made much more difficult by unexpected events like the COVID-19 pandemic. Bartlett Tree Experts understands that and has made safety their number one consideration. But that's not surprising because safety has always been their number one concern and will continue to be their concern as we move into the next phases of this crisis. Something else we've learned over this time is that people love their trees and from a safe distance have been eager to talk to Bartlett Arborist representatives, whether from the safety of their porch or through a window or over the phone. They also know that Bartlett can make outside areas safer from ticks, which are having a banner year thanks to a mild winter. Bottom line, the folks at Bartlett Tree Experts want to say thank you to their customers for loving trees and understanding that every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. There's a new urgency for people to grow their own food, and thanks to Happy Leaf LED Grow Lights, your seedlings will be healthier with a better germination rate and faster growth. You'll get lower operating costs and higher yields. That's because the wavelengths are tuned to your plant's needs. They have a 50,000-plus-hour minimum lifespan, and they're made in America. Go to MikeNovak.net for the code to save 5% on your purchase, and go to HappyLeafLED.com to get more information. Happy Leaf, it's about the light. Whether you have a garden, a farm, or grow houseplants, you need microbial buddies to reconnect you to nature. The folks at Blazing Star sell probiotics from industry leader Tinyo Biologicals, which means they sell good soil biology, which means they maximize soil biodiversity. That results in healthy soil and healthy plants. Tinyo beneficial microbial soil components will add a major boost to depleted soils. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners.
Uh, it's always a pleasure to hear uh, Judy and Mark, uh, and uh, they're our friends, Judy Handler, Mark Levesque. Nice. And, and uh, I can hear in the background uh, our buddy uh, Rick DeMaio. Hi, Rick. How you doing this morning? Morning, Mike. Good morning, Peg. Good morning. Um, wow. we've uh, Some people in Louisiana are not having a good morning today, are they? No, they haven't had a good month when you think about it. Um, you know, cleaning up still from Hurricane Laura, and then you have another hurricane, um, not as strong, but definitely larger, uh, a little bit more rain, um, and it hits you 47 days later, about 15 miles to the um, east. So all we did was we took the area that got hit before uh, and added insult to injury. Um, and it'll be it'll be interesting to see how, you know, not only, you know, businesses and people recover, but Mike and Peg, I'm more concerned about the environment. When you think mm-hmm. about that area of southwest Louisiana, you know, it's basically marshland, a lot of inland, yeah. you know, bodies of fresh water. And then you have, you know, an inundation of, you know, seawater, you know, which is salt, obviously, not once but twice. You know, you know, some of these estuaries can't handle it. And then you think about, you know, the shrimping industry, the crabbing industry. Um, you know, these people are taking a hit. Not for a day, but, you know, two days before, the day of, two days after. Mm-hmm. Uh, five days become 10 days. You know, what about the petroleum industry? Um, a lot to think about above and beyond just seeing blue tarps on people's, you know, rooftops. And hopefully this is something that's being taken seriously uh, by the people in Louisiana and, more importantly, uh, the Republican governor down there as well. Uh, yeah, you, you're one of the things you're always best at, Rick is uh, drawing, connecting the dots between a weather event and what happens to the people there, whether it's a the derecho or a drought uh, or mm-hmm. anything like that. So um, I, I'm glad you're thinking in those ways. And, and as you said, I hope other people are too. Yeah. And, and part of that, Mike, is because I have to do it, you know, for school. Um, you know, oftentimes when you, you know, it, it's hard to interview a fish, right it's it's hard it's hard to interview a crab and and when the water goes down you don't really see what's underneath there you know you're not going to get a reporter all of a sudden put on galoshes that goes up to their waist and do a before and after you know of an estuary or you know the marshland right along the coast because they probably don't have a before and the after probably doesn't look that much different but it's easy to do before and after of you know people's homes being destroyed and stuff like that but oftentimes i think um, it's, it's the environment that, you know, unless someone stands up and talks about it, it's not going to be covered. Uh, and then when you talk about the industry that is reliant on the environment, unless you actually go in there and talk to the farmers and the fishermen, you know, it's not going to be covered. So again, it's, yeah. it's these kind of things that I try to get, um, to think about and, you know, hopefully, hopefully they do, because a lot of times that kind of stuff, um, is not really, I think, put on the front, you know, the front cover of a, of a news article. But it's interesting to note, Delta turned out to be the first Greek-named hurricane ever to make landfall in the United States. It's also the 10th named storm uh, this season. That breaks the record. Uh, actually, it, it increases the record. The previous record was eight. Um, the one before that obviously was nine, and now we have number 10 here. But it's also interesting to point out, even though this is the 25th named storm 
of the year. If you compare this to back in 2005 when we had 26 named storms, the overall accumulated cyclone energy, that's the, the term that a lot of meteorologists like to use from a standpoint of how much energy was actually produced by these hurricanes, the normal is about 85 to about 90 up to this time of the year. So far, we're up to about 125, which is obviously above normal. But if you compare this to 2005, we were at 251. And that's because we had three Category 5s, Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Wilma, and Hurricane Rita. And obviously, that was a big, big year. But this year, from a standpoint of accumulated cyclone energy, is actually quite low compared to the number of storms. And that's due to the fact that most of the storms we've had have been either low-end hurricanes or tropical storms. So we, we got to remember that if we're going to talk about, quote, oh, my God, we had 25 named storms, it's really more or less the number of storms that have been intense uh, and where they've hit. And so far, less than 125 deaths, less than, I think, almost less than maybe $25 billion in damage, from, so from a standpoint of how it's impacted human lives and livelihood, this season has actually been kind of low. The only thing that I would kind of point out is that the number of storms have hit so many different places between Texas, Louisiana, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina, New Jersey, New York. It's basically hit about every part of the East Coast. And during the global pandemic, when you're already having difficulties with finances from a state and federal level, um, this season has certainly been stressful from that standpoint. So again, many different social ways of looking at this hurricane season, which I might add um, is still not over. It's going to take a little bit of a vacation between now and next week, but uh, it could easily pop back up again, particularly in the Southern Caribbean towards the end of the month. You're the first person I've heard uh, meteorologists or scientists talk about the uh, combined energy of these uh, hurricanes and um, most of the other people out there, they're they're all talking numbers, <laughs> and then they're all drawing. No, that, yeah, they're drawing that direct link yeah. to climate change. Yeah, and you know what? That's okay. I mean, every once in a while, you'll see it on the Weather Channel. You'll see Dr. Rick Neb talk about the ACE, the accumulated cyclone energy, or what's called the Power Dissipation Index. That's the PDI. Uh, but these are links that you know I send to you guys, and if you want to continue, you know, to forward that to other people, I think that's important. Uh, but again, this is this goes back to, you know, most of the hurricanes that we've had have been developing quite rapidly. And what's interesting to point out also is if you would have taken Delta and moved it over that same area of the Gulf of Mexico about three weeks ago, that would have been a Category 5. If you think about what happened October 10th, 2018, we had Category 5 Michael strike the west coast of Florida there, that area, that small little section of Apalachicola. Still a very unpopulated area, but still, that was a Category 5 hurricane on October 10th. That was one of the latest hurricanes of that intensity we've ever seen. And the only reason why Delta weakened is because we had so much activity this year in the northern Gulf that it actually upwelled the water, cooled it down a little bit. Mm -hmm. So the hurricanes actually created an environment that was less, less conducive towards the back end of the season to have more hurricanes. And that's just, that's just normal you know, normal weather patterns at that point. But again, you still got to be careful if you're going to try to connect the dots and cross the T's or dot the I's, so to say, 
you can't always just say warmer water 100% of the time gives you more hurricanes. What we're most concerned about is the earlier season, the end of the season, how far north these things are going, and whether or not we're, we're striking more areas. So it would be interesting to see over a period of time if someone could do a study and look at how much money was actually spent on the government from a standpoint of time, dealing with hurricanes and tropical storms from a standpoint of evacuation during a global pandemic. Um, I think that would be the more interesting thing. You keep hearing, even from you know Vice President Mike Pence during the debate, he goes, Science has shown that there are not more hurricanes. I don't care about that. I care about the fact that more people are being impacted and it's taken more resources from the government, both from a manpower and financial standpoint, to deal with these storms more than ever before. That's what Kamala Harris should have come back and said. And that's one of the reasons why I was a little bit upset after that debate Tuesday night. I think she missed out on some key points. Well, if you were there, you would have said it. Uh, of course, <laughs> from your point of view. <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah, we need we need to have another season of West Wing and have and have someone who's like a climate change guy, like like waiting off in the wings, and will come in here and go, Rick, what do you think about this? How do you want to strategize? I'm the guy at that point. Yeah, and then we need uh, uh, next time not just a fly, but a praying mantis to land on uh, Mike Pence's head, and uh, we'll see how he re- <laughs> he reacts yeah, to that. <laughs> a sledgehammer, a sledgehammer is better than both of those things, Mike. Uh, I don't, I, I don't know if you saw Saturday Night Live, but that, mm-hmm. I did not. No, I did not. Oh my goodness, uh, Joe Biden. Uh, needs sees that Kamala Harris needs help, so he gets in the transporter machine to go to the debate, but there's a fly in it, and so he ends up being a fly on the top of Mike Pence's head. <laughs> oh, dear. Kind of, kind of taking a little bit of nod for the movie The Fly, huh? Yeah, yeah they did. They even used some clip of, of uh, footage of it. And well, put, The Fly became Jeff Goldblum, too. Yeah, right, and, and, right, and because it was... Uh, um, what's his name? Uh, who, who, Jim Carrey. Who, Jim Carrey. Uh, Jeff Goldblum. No, Jim Carrey. Oh, Jim and, Carrey? And so, so Jim Carrey ends up doing a Jeff Goldblum impersonation, which was really spot on. It was hilarious. And then th- there's another fly that appears on Mike Pence's head, and it's it's Herman Cain. And I thought, whoa, you guys, <laughs> you know, I laughed, but it kind of went um, hmm. maybe too soon. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I well, know. as they That's said, it, well, yeah. That is pushing at that point. Yeah. Uh, So, so what about here? All these different things. You know, oftentimes I talk to my students about some of this contemporary humor. Um, Some of them get it. Some of them don't. And the ones that don't, I kind of get mad at them. But then again, when I was a college, you know, student, was I, you know, was I watching TV or was I doing that as opposed to being outside, you know, at someone's house or over at a party doing something else? So I don't know. I mean, it's tough for a student these days to kind of put – all of these things together and still and still back a student, which is, you know, you're supposed to be doing work and through zoom technology, it's, it's kind of tough. So uh, I know we've only got another minute here for the forecast. So let me know when I need to get to that. Okay. Uh, and we're, we're cool. Actually, we had a little interruption in the show earlier and yeah. I'm, but, and, but uh, Rick's got to get going. He said, uh, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, I just want to ask you, it's still dry here in the Midwest. And I imagine still a large part of the country. Yeah, uh, we're still not, you know, back in drought. Uh, it's only because even though we've been dry, we're not evaporating as much moisture off the soil due to the fact that it's not as warm. Uh, but, yeah, so far, even though we've been basically rain-free for the first 10 days of the month, we'll get a little bit of rain tomorrow. 
uh, between about 10 a.m. and about 2 p.m. when a weak cold front comes through. Uh, but that should be it for the week. That'll give us about four to about five-tenths of an inch of rain. Uh, we're still two inches above normal, but we're 12 inches below where we were this time last year. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know about you guys, but this has been one of the best seasons for fall foliage. I mean, just about anywhere in Illinois and Wisconsin. Um, I think the colors are about as good as I've ever seen it, but I think we finally got it right. You have really wet weather in the spring. Uh, you have a hot, dry summer, and then you have no real big storms that come at you in the early months or the early part of October that kind of blows the leaves off the trees. Uh, but this is about as good as it gets, and I think it's going to continue for the next three or four days before a bit of a cool down comes at us uh, on Thursday and into Friday. Well, I guess I better get out there and see some of this. I really haven't seen any of it. So, you uh, golfing just, Friday, so you just, saw some you know, of you, you want a good road to take, get down to Palos Hills and go on, um, you know, State oh, yeah. Route 20, um, all the way through those southwest suburban areas. The trees are beautiful. Take a drive anywhere up to Wisconsin. The trees are spectacular. Um, and, I, and I think you won't, be, uh, you won't be disappointed. The only thing that will happen is it's going to turn windier. Uh, by Friday and Saturday of this coming weekend, and that'll put temperatures in the overnight uh, period in the mid-30s, afternoon highs only maybe close to 50 degrees. So while we hit 80 on Friday and 77 yesterday, got a lake breeze today, temperatures probably only in the mid-60s near the lake, 70 well inland, and then even with the rain tomorrow, we'll probably get up to about 65, but it's going to be a pretty windy day tomorrow. So you're going to see a lot of leaves blow off the trees, and then another cool front comes through Wednesday and Thursday, and that will also add to a lot of leafless trees as well. So I'm thinking between uh, today and probably Wednesday are probably going to be the best times to see the leaves. Otherwise, by this time next week, half of these things will probably be off, and then we get into cooler weather, and you know, it just makes it a little bit more difficult to be outside for long periods of time. Yeah. It sounds like uh, you just did the forecast for us. Is there anything you want to add to that? No, no, other than um, I wish people would stop talking about the polls and start talking about issues because I would not be surprised if President Trump uses uses his um, infection and, you know, basically his coming out of COVID as a way to say, look, I'm indestructible. He's going to use that to his advantage, and he already is. And I just want to hear issues, issues, issues. I don't want to hear polls. I don't want to hear plus or minuses. I don't want to hear how we compare to 2016. Talk about the issues and we'll be fine. With that in mind, when I was still, I was going, I started grad school in uh in at wayne state university and and never finished it uh but i did a media course in 1976 um i did a study i looked listened to a lot of the local media in detroit and i determined from all these different reports that it was like you know 80 percent about polls and 20 percent about issues so nothing has changed in 45 years yeah, I guess you're right. I just don't want a repeat of 2016. I can't take another four years of this. <laughs> I can't either. None of us can. Rick, thank you so much, buddy. Have a have a great Sunday, and we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Take care, Mike and Peg. All right. Thanks, Bye-bye. Rick. Okay, and uh, that kind of wraps it up for this adventurous show today. Let's get Rick out of there. Goodbye, Rick. Uh, I want to thank everybody who was on the program today, um, Jack Pizzo, Kim Ironman, Nicole Virgil. Uh, I want to thank Kayla out there. 
Uh, I'd like to thank uh, whatever powers that be who sent the surge to us. I have no idea what that was about. Uh, so um, all I got to say is uh, until next time, go green or go home. Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.